Good morning, and welcome to Mayflower Congregational Church. We are thrilled to have you both physically here with us this morning and virtually joining us. I am Reverend Ruth Bell Olson, and together with Reverend Dr. Jonathan White, we are your interim pastoral team. We are joined this morning by Dr. Julia Brown, our Director of Music, and we have some very special cantors this morning. We have Josh Ledesma, Samantha Lovell, Catherine Grin, Emily Grin, and Jackson Cooley. Many thanks to Pat McGuire, who makes our live streams all possible. So I now want to welcome Dr. Julia Brown for a word about today's music. This past Friday evening, we had wind instruments, eight musicians from our Grand Rapids Symphony here in our sanctuary with John Verano conducting. It was a beautiful program of Mozart and Beethoven, about 45 minutes in length. And uh, originally, we were told that it was only going to be available at that time. But because of COVID, contracts have uh, loosened a little bit and so we were told that we can now make it available on demand for the next 30 days so if you watched it and want to watch it again it's on there's a link on our webpage. if you missed it and uh, feel bad that oh darn the friday went by i missed it you can watch it for the next 30 days and um next sunday is uh, as tradition here at Mayflower in the spring, our children have a musical. And last year it was canceled with all so many other things that were canceled. Uh, but we revived that musical. Abby and Josh have worked hard with the kids, whether on Zoom or outdoors or Oh, they, we did what we could to get them ready. They recorded in our atrium uh, last uh, month. And finally, it's coming together, and we will be able to experience the lost boy, young Jesus in the temple. So this, you will be getting one of these in the mail this week. This is the bulletin for next um, Sunday, so we will not be live in this space. Um, and four of the main characters for this uh, musical are with us today. So we have... We have Mary, and we have Joseph, and we have Zechariah, and we have the merchant. So tune in next week so you can see what they're doing and what the other 20-plus kids will be singing and acting. It's just a wonderful, wonderful musical they've put together. And following the service at noon outside, we will have our traditional cross award ceremony with ice cream and pizza. So... Um, trying to bring back all those things that are familiar and remind us that we're all part of the same church family. Thank you, Julia. Please note that Jean Boyden's funeral will be coming up on May 15th at 2 o'clock. There will be a celebration of her life at Sunnybrook Country Club. And here at Mayflower, we are excited that our 8th graders are beginning the confirmation process today. Please remember them in your prayers and mark your calendars for the celebration of our confirmants, which will happen on Pentecost, May 23. 
And next week, as Julia mentioned, we'll be showcasing the Mayflower Youth in our children's musical, The Lost Boy. Since it will be a streamed service only, we know it will be a wonderful experience for the whole church family. So now, let us prepare our hearts for worship as we remember he is risen, he is risen indeed. We will now lift up our voices and sing, Alleluia, Alleluia, to the God of all creatures, great and small. Please join me for our opening prayer from Psalm 4. Lord, we pray for you to answer us when we call. You have given us room to express our distress, so please hear us and be gracious to us. May we not sin when we are disturbed, and may we offer right sacrifices to you. Help us to put our trust in you today and always. Amen.
Our first scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 3, and picks up just after the healing of a man, verses 12 through 19. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the Holy and Righteous One and asked to have a murderer given to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Our second scripture reading this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through 48. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me And the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy One, open our ears that we may hear, our minds that we may think and critically analyze, our hearts that we may care, and our hands so that when we leave this place, we leave in service. In the name of the Holy of Holies, Amen. Matt Haig has a current bestseller on the New York Times fiction list called The Midnight Library. I really hate it when priests and pastors give away the whole plot of a book you want to read or a movie you want to see, so I don't have any spoilers here. What I want to do is tell you about the gist of the book. The protagonist is named Nora Seed. Nora is down and out. She lost her job at a music store. Everything that was supposed to go right in her life has gone wrong. She has taken too many sleeping pills, and she wants to die. She wakes up in a cosmic library, the Midnight Library. And there is her librarian from school who explains, This is your library, Norma. What do you mean my library, Nora says? Well, this is the multiverse. And everything that possibly could happen can and will happen. And these are all your lives around the multiverse. Just pick one. You don't have to live the life that you're in now. Well, as the novel progresses, Nora goes through life after life after life, and she finds out that she has some of the same problems in every life, but there's some isomorphisms too. Some of the good things are there. Now, you can read the book and figure out where we go from there. But it's extremely interesting that what we see 
is that, yeah, I made this choice, but it's still me. If we look at Luke's writing today, and we did it backwards, we had the second Luke, or what we call Acts, read, read first, and then the Gospel of Luke after that. But if we look at that, we see something fairly consistent. What is consistent is contained in Peter's speech. Peter starts talking to the Israelites. He's talking to the gentry. As he does that, he is explaining that the God of Abraham and Sarah, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob is the God of Jesus. And he does it in a very interesting fashion that Luke sets aside. My Greek isn't good enough to pick up on this, but Greek scholars have told me that in Luke's writing, he will have a phrase of almost perfect Greek, highly educated and highly sophisticated. And the next verse will come as if it's being spoken with Hebrew idioms. So he goes, Greek, Hebrew, Greek, Hebrew, Greek, Hebrew. He also does something to show his Greek roots. It's almost as if you were reading Thucydides' History of the Peloponnesian War or Herodotus' Discussion of Thermopylae. The characters give long speeches. Pericles in the Peloponnesian War gives these impassioned speeches. There's no way Thucydides could have known what he said, but that was a style, a literary style in Greece. And when Leodinus says to the Persians as the 300 Spartans oppose an invasion, and the Persians say, just lay down your weapons, Leodinus responds, Mulan Labe, come and take Luke is getting across things like that. He's also getting across an idea of there's a continuation with the Old Testament. Have you ever thought or heard someone say, I like the New Testament, but I don't really care for the Old Testament? Because it has all that blood and gore and everything and strange stories that I don't understand. I said that. I said that in seminary to my Old Testament professor on the first day of class. He said, you're saying that to me? I've been teaching 13 years and I have tenure. I don't care. Uh, he also opened the Old Testament to and became my favorite professor and almost 30 years ago, actually 30 years ago, uh, he delivered my ordination sermon from that pulpit. Uh, I love the guy, and he opened, he opened it up to me. But it has to be open, and we have to realize that the God of Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. Now, I think of an old film starring Marty Feldman, in God We Trust. Marty Feldman is a monk in this monastery outside Los Angeles, 
and they're having financial problems. So Marty is charged to go into Los Angeles and raise funds. He goes in, in complete cultural shock, carrying this gigantic Bible with a wooden cover. It weighs a ton, and he's carrying it along, and he sees a guy mugging another guy. He opens up the Bible and says, Oh, in St. Luke it says, and gives him a verse about peace. The guy, boom, knocks him back. His Bible goes one way, he goes the other. He picks up the Bible again, walks back up to the mugger, opens it up, and says, St. Paul says that you should not repay evil for evil. Boom! The guy hits him again. At this point, Feldman shakes his head, picks the Bible up, picks himself up, and says, what about something from the Old Testament? Wham! Hits him on the head. That's kind of how we think of the Old Testament. But let's think about how the Old Testament was written. German scholars led by Julius Bellhausen in the 1800s started coming upon a formula. They started looking at the scriptures in terms of history. The scriptures are written influenced by historical periods. All those violent passages, all those things we don't want to read, all the violence in a couple of the Psalms, they are written in times of high stress. They are written by people who believe in God and want to see God active in history. As I was thinking about that this week, I thought about what if we were writing the Bible today? And by the way, they didn't know they were writing the Bible. They were writing standalone books. Those books were placed together much, much later, hundreds of years later. And they went through different editing. There were uh, people, Jehovahists, uh, who writing with David. There were Elohists who were writing with the people who were already existing in the land. Then came the legal scholars, the Deuteronomists. And finally came the priest. And this is all over a period of about 500 years. And they're all editing things. That's why when you read the Old Testament, you'll read a story where everything is happening, and then suddenly you get all this passage about legalism. Well, somebody added it in there after that. But as I was trying to piece this together to, uh, this week, I thought, what if we were writing the Bible today? And what if we were looking at World War II as an existential war where God was playing an active part in saving the United States. And the supreme contradiction that hit me was Colonel Paul Tibbetts and the Enola Gay carrying the first atomic bomb to Hiroshima. And the Lord God said, you take responsibility. He did. He said, everybody take their hands off the controls. This is mine. Nobody in this plane is responsible. And the Lord God said, push the button. And the war ended. The United States rejoiced. 
and hundreds of thousands of American lives were saved. And the babies burned. The families were incinerated. And children died of radiation poisoning years afterwards. Well, when we read those stories in Judges, when we read those stories in 1 Samuel, when we read those stories in Joshua, that's the context that the histories were written. There's also wonderful poetry in the Old Testament. There is also wisdom literature. And aside from the stories, and more on that after the children's musical next week, and in two weeks I'll be taking a fresh look at one of those old stories. In addition to that, there are the prophets. The prophets are looking back at those histories. And the prophets are saying, do you think I want sacrifice What I want is justice and mercy flowing down like a stream. What I want is for you to love. Don't bring me your burnt offerings. Take care of widows and orphans and the aliens in your lands. You too were once an alien. Jesus is straight out of that prophetic tradition. The God of Amos, the God of Isaiah, the God of Jeremiah, the God of Daniel, the God of Hosea, is the God of Jesus. And Jesus did not say one thing that is not contained in the Old Testament. The key to understanding the Old Testament is to understand the context. The German scholars said there are two different contexts. One is a literary context. What is the author trying to get across by telling that story? Are there supreme contradictions? Yes, because there are supreme contradictions in life. Think about Abraham and Isaac. That verse that begins in Genesis. Abraham, Abraham, Hanani. Yes, Lord, here I am. Anything you want, anything you require, I'm your servant. All crammed into one little Hebrew word, Hanani. Take your son. Yes, the son you gave me. Your only son. I'm with you, Lord. The son you love. Yes. Itzak. Oh, yes, the one laughing. Take your son and go to the land of the Moriah and sacrifice him there. What? 
I used to tell students at Grand Valley when I walked them through the introduction to liberal education. Think about that story. You don't have to believe it's true. Think about your life. You do everything right. You play by all the rules. You obey all the regulations. You do everything that society told you to do. And it all falls apart. There's truth in that story. And the last thing that story is about is child sacrifice. The literary context. And I've already mentioned the historical context. A background of fighting for survival. A background of trying to exist. A background where the ecology is shifting. Some years are good, some years are bad. There are empires growing up around you. War is an abstract. You're fighting for the survival of your city and your tribe. The historical context. And then the prophetic tradition. The prophetic tradition ties that Old Testament together. And we see it in Jesus' command, again, delivered by Luke in a long Greek speech. But we also see it in John, and it's simplified in there. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this they will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. So Nora Seed sits in the library of the multiverse. And she sees every possibility that could have ever existed. I confess I have no understanding of how quantum physicists can talk about a multiverse, but it still fascinates me. And Matt Haig does a wonderful literary job of talking about the meaning of life in that beautiful book, The Midnight Library. We know this. There are isomorphisms, truths, numbers, rules that stay constant across all equations. Nora will see that. Jesus saw that. When Peter tells the crowd outside the temple, you crucified Jesus, the author of life. Jesus, who believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're an Easter people. And all of the scriptures belong to us. 
We're an Easter people. And Alleluia is our name. In the name of God the Creator, God the Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now is the time in our service when we prepare to receive the offering. Thank you for your generous support of the ministry of Mayflower Church. Yeah. <laughs> 
Holy Lord of the dance, please take our gifts, tithes, and offerings and use them for your glory. Help us to be faithful and watchful for all of the ways you can use us to be a blessing to the world. Amen. Now let us all join our hearts together as we pray our congregational prayer. God of Abraham, God of Jesus, thank you for hearing our prayers. We are still basking in the glow of Easter, and we're so grateful for the gift of your Son and the glory of resurrection. It's almost too wonderful to comprehend. We are also grateful for sunshine, for spring, for new life all around us, as well as new life within us. Thank you for Mayflower and that we're able to gather this morning in this space. And thank you for the hearts gathering with us in the virtual world. We know we're connected, even if we cannot see each other face to face. Thank you for the confirmands and the journey that they are embarking on today. May their hearts be full of your love and understanding. We know that you are God and you love us so much. Thank you for this astonishing love and peace that we find only in you. God of Abraham, God of Jesus, thank you for hearing our prayers. We have so many things to pray about today. We can be easily overwhelmed by the need and pain of our world. So we desperately pray for peace. We pray for the end of conflict and strife that's rampant in spots all over the globe. We think of Myanmar, Ethiopia, Iran, and now all these questions around Afghanistan. We remember Central America, and we pray for the families at our own southern border and for the end of the violence they are fleeing. We also desperately, desperately seek the end of gun violence in our own country. The numerous incidents and victims weigh heavy on our hearts, especially the profound losses and tragedies in communities of color. Oh, Lord, work a miracle, please. Work a miracle for justice and for mercy. We continue to pray for our country and for our state, still in the throes of a pandemic that feels never 
ending. We pray for vaccines. We pray for health. We pray for healing. And this morning we lift up this church and its many members. This has been a year of transition and confusion. And we pray for the leadership and future leadership. We pray that they be guided by your Holy Spirit into a bright and hopeful future. We pray for the many people listed on our prayer chain and those who are suffering quietly. Lord, bring your hand of comfort and your divine peace. And now in one unified spirit, we join our hearts and voices to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Last week I said for the people who joined us in the sanctuary that we maintain a minute of silence while the live stream continues and goes off. You're not on camera. We are. Um, Laugh, dance, sing, yell out hallelujah, do anything that moves you. It is so good to see you here in church. It is so good to see you again, and we're coming back. So go from this place in joy. Go from this place in love. For the God of Abraham and the God of Jesus is the God of Pangaea, the God of the dinosaurs, the God of civilizations that have been forgotten, the God of civilizations that will be. It is our God. It is Jesus' God the universal God who gives us a universal Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.